Today we have two short readings, one from Psalm and one from Matthew. So uh, Psalm 36, starting at verse 5 to verse 9. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike. O Lord, how precious is your unfailing love. O God, all humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. And then from Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse until the end of 7. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Helen, very much indeed. So we come to this beatitude this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, the government has been very much in the news this week, so I thought I would start with a true story from the government in the 19th century. William Gladstone had a lengthy career in politics, including four separate periods as prime minister. And when he was chancellor of the Exchequer, he sent a request to the Treasury for certain statistics on which to base his budget proposals. Unfortunately, the statistician made a mistake. But Gladstone was so sure of this person's accuracy that he did not take time to verify the figures. He went before the House of Commons, made his speech, basing his appeal on the incorrect figures that had been given to him. His speech was no sooner published than the newspapers exposed its glaring inaccuracies. Gladstone was acutely embarrassed. He went to his office and sent at once for the statistician who was responsible for his humiliating situation. The man came full of fear and shame, certain that he was going to lose his position. But instead, Gladstone said, I know how much you must be disturbed over what has happened, and I've sent for you to put you at your ease. For a long time, you have been engaged in handling the intricacies of the national accounts. And this is the first mistake you have made. I want to congratulate you and express to you my keen appreciation. That's mercy. The Oxford Dictionary describes it as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. 
that statistician could well have lost his job that day. But the Prime Minister chose a different course, an expression of mercy. So mercy is a wonderful quality. A wonderful quality. To be kind and considerate to all, reflecting and extending the love of God in so many different ways, going beyond what might be expected and at times doing what is the opposite to what is expected. It's a word which includes being loving and kind and caring, but it also says something more than all of those. In that sense, it's a slightly difficult word, but not one that you can just abandon and say, we'll talk about being loving instead, we'll talk about being kind instead, we'll talk about being caring. No, there's something about mercy which is a little bit deeper. There's a reason for keeping this word, and I think it's especially important because of the Hebrew root it comes from, a Hebrew word, uh, cheshet. The, the word mercy has this special meaning to it as it speaks deeply about the way that we should treat others as God has treated us. The first four Beatitudes are primarily to do with our relationship with God, and Helen reminded us of them in the reading just now. But now as the Beatitudes continue through, the emphasis shifts towards our dealings with other people. And so, after remembering that there is blessing to those who are poor in spirit, to those who mourn, to those who are meek, to those who are hungry and thirsty after righteousness. All those characteristics of the early Beatitudes are so important. But having recognized that with regard to our relationship with God, we then come to those who are around us and we hear these words, blessed are the merciful. I think we need to be clear what this beatitude does not mean. It doesn't mean that you earn God's mercy by being merciful to others. If you read it on its own, just the words, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy, you might well get the impression that if I am kind and understanding and forgiving and all the rest of it to the people around me, then maybe God will be kind to me. It's a kind of doctrine of works. If I do the right things, then God will be pleased with me. But that is not the Christian gospel at all. And such an approach would ignore those huge sections of Scripture that make it so clear that there's absolutely nothing we can do to earn God's mercy and the love of God. We have all utterly and totally failed as far as God is concerned. And there is nothing that we can do to make that better. It is only God's grace and love that he brings to us first of all, which puts us in the place where we can ever come and know him as Savior and as Lord. It is wrong to say that we must be merciful in order to obtain mercy. Long before the disciples became merciful to anyone else, God was merciful to them. There's nothing we can ever do to earn God's favor. It's all from him and by his mercy and grace. So God's dealings with us start from his mercy. It doesn't mean, this beatitude does not mean that you earn God's mercy by being merciful to others. It also doesn't mean 
that you ignore justice and allow anything to happen. And just be merciful all the time. It is not the soft option in a situation where justice should be done. God himself is merciful, but God is also righteous and God is just. He holds together these qualities in a perfect balance, a perfect balance that we ourselves will never be able to sustain. But God can absolutely perfectly. And to be merciful is not to evade the truth and avoid the right and proper action, but it is to go beyond the requirements of the law to something special that is modelled after the way of Christ. I'm sure we're all feeling very deeply the situation in New Zealand at the moment. And we will come to pray for those who are deeply suffering later in our service this morning. What is the right and proper response in that situation? There is clearly an element of justice that has to be faced. And that, I'm sure, will come over the course of time. But there are also ways of expressing mercy. Both belong there. This beatitude does not mean that you ignore justice and allow anything to happen. If that's what it doesn't mean, then what does it mean? Well, it begins always with God. I think we will only understand mercy when we understand it as beginning with God. The Hebrew equivalent of this word is always used in the Old Testament of the action of God. His love, his faithfulness, his kindness to all. Especially to the Israelite nation as that story is traced through those uh, generations. We sometimes think of mercy in a negative way. Relaxing a demand, giving way to a possible penalty, not treating someone with sternness and severity. But actually, the mercy of God is much more positive. It is the outgoing kindness of the heart of God. The mercy of God is so infinite that it reaches to the heavens, so enduring that it lasts forever. That's why I was keen that we should sing that song just before the sermon. You are my strength, strength like no other. You're my hope, hope like no other. Uh, Of how the... Mercy and the grace of God reaches to the heavens, reaches to the skies, echoing the psalm that Helen read. And that psalm includes some wonderful words. How priceless is your unfading love. You cannot put a value on the mercy, love, and faithfulness of God. The qualities of God are absolutely priceless. And God, of course, demonstrates that mercy in history, in the deliverance from the hand of the Pharaoh in Egypt under the leadership of Moses, in the return from the exile to Jerusalem following the kindness of the Persian king. And then coming into the New Testament, God's mercy seen in so many of the stories that Jesus told, the incidents in which he was involved. And especially as from the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive. They don't know what they're doing. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 4, of a God who is rich in mercy, who because of his love made us alive in Christ. 
Mercy begins with God. But then it also involves our practical action. Because to be merciful is to have the same attitude to other people as God has to us. To think of others as God thinks of them. To feel for others as God feels for them. To act towards others as God acts towards them. And this takes all our energy and all our commitment and our spiritual vision. Every encounter, what would Jesus do? There are no set rules. Jesus doesn't specify the character categories of people to whom his disciples are to show mercy. He gives no indication of whether he's thinking primarily of those overcome by disaster, like the traveler from Jerusalem to Jericho, whom the robbers assaulted and to whom the Good Samaritan showed mercy, or the hungry, the sick, the outcast on whom he himself regularly showed mercy, or of those who have done some wrong so that justice cries out for punishment and mercy offers forgiveness. Jesus doesn't say who should receive mercy. He doesn't say when and how we should offer mercy. But his own life, his whole life, demonstrates so much of the grace and the mercy of God. And as we read that, it is quite clear that mercy must extend to victims of disaster, of those in poverty. And I think that sometimes we overlook the devastating impact of a particular tragedy the immense challenge of a wider disaster because we see so much of it on our television screens. There are so many in the world who are struggling to survive. And if we are to be a people of mercy, we do need to act, to care, to give, as and when we have that opportunity. I expect some of you saw Comic Relief and on a national scale, what a tremendous project to raise millions and millions of pounds, which will make a difference to people, whether they're needing mosquito nets in Uganda or whatever particular project some of the funding might go to. It's practical expressions of care. Mercy must extend to those on the margins of society. It's outgoing love, outward-looking, the reverse of being self-centered. Mercy requires that we seek others, and seek after those who are in difficult places and come alongside them. We don't just wait for someone to come knocking at our door. We go to where they are. I wonder who in your life at the moment, who in the church community, who amongst your neighbors and friends might be feeling at this moment a little bit vulnerable? where an act of kindness would mean so much. Just think, just let God drop into your mind someone to whom you can be merciful today. And in particular, mercy must extend to those who have done wrong to us. Forgiveness is another huge subject beyond the scope of a sermon where I'm talking more about mercy, but it includes this beatitude because part of mercy is to forgive. 
Mercy lodges itself in the heart, but it expresses itself in the hand. It involves action. Just one or two other thoughts. Mercy reaches to everyone. The stories that Jesus told illustrate this so clearly. There was that story of the two men who went to the temple to pray. Do you remember that one? Uh, two people. One was called a Pharisee and was very full of himself and all that he'd achieved and how good he was at obeying the law. And the other was a tax collector um, who was in a completely different place. And the Pharisee stood up and basically told God how good he was. And the tax collector just threw himself down and cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And those who observed would have thought that God was pleased with the Pharisee. But Jesus said it was the tax collector who went home right with God because he put himself in the place of acknowledging his wretchedness and need and receiving mercy. We've already mentioned the Good Samaritan. The true neighbor to the one who was attacked by robbers was the one who had mercy upon him. There's another story Jesus told of someone who was owed a lot of money, called in uh, the servant who owed him money, and the master basically released this person of a huge debt. The person who'd been released of a huge debt, then went to someone else who owed him just a little bit of money and refused to offer that same mercy to the other person. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you was the telling question in that story. These stories that went against cultural expectations but showed from Jesus the heart of God's mercy, reaching out to everyone. Mercy reaches to everyone. I think we should also observe that mercy has been terribly lacking, not just in the time of Jesus, but in all generations. The society in which Jesus spoke was very hard and callous towards certain groups of people. The Jews were merciless to the sinners, merciless to the Gentiles, they were exclusive, often very proud and judgmental towards other people. In, Roman, in the Roman world, life was merciless, especially to the slave and the child. There are horrific examples. Times when unwanted children were simply thrown out like refuse. Just one quote from a first century Hilarion writing to his wife. If you bear a child, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it out. What a callous, cruel world. And there are times when we too live in a harsh world. Thankfully, there is so much more now in our society to protect the vulnerable. But there are still people who suffer abuse at home, discrimination in the workplace, those who are not treated well, there are tragic stories today of children growing up in homes where there is no stability, no love, no real parenting. There are many who are suffering in silence because they feel trapped 
in impossible situations. Mercy is lacking. But God is here today. And he calls you and me to be a people of mercy, of compassion, and of deep love. Not to accept the world as it is, but to be an expression of God's grace in making it different. And just a final thought, which is so clear from this beatitude, that mercy does bring blessing. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Both now and in the life to come. We receive mercy now. Indeed, as we show mercy to others, the blessings to us multiply. The more you give, the more you receive. The mercy we show to others is not to win God's mercy. We can never do that. But somehow there is an overflow of God's grace and blessing when God's people are characterized by mercy. And as others are merciful to us now, God will be merciful to us in the final time when we meet with him when our trust and our commitment is entirely to Jesus. One commentator on this beatitude said, I'm persuaded that should the Spirit of God usher in another period of refreshing revival in the Western world, one of the earliest signs of it will be that admission of spiritual bankruptcy, which finds its satisfaction in God and goes on to be richly merciful to other people. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy.